Merry Christmas, everyone. Welcome to the Philo Podcast, where our goal is to help you as a technical artist to become more effective so that your church can become more effective. We do that through this podcast, our coaching cohorts, the Philo Conference, which is in May of 2022, and our book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas. And speaking of Christmas, we're coming up on it. Big push to all those Christmas services. And I hope you've been running the race in such a way as to win, not sprinting, not running all out every day, but pacing yourself so you can make it to the finish line. And I really believe that God created each of us specifically to be the Philo type of person, and which means work hard to get it done, but he also wants us to last. He fully created us for the long haul, not just for a few Christmases and then we're done. And while the title of the book is a joke, my wife says that all kidding is half true. So there's definitely something about Christmas for us to be aware of. In our last podcast, I talked about making a plan for surviving Christmas, and it's not too late. I mean, if you're listening to this in real time, you can still make the most of the time you have left. So what is it, December 6th? Take your spouse on a date. Go sledding with your kids. If you don't have snow where you live, figure it out. One thing I notice about Christmas is that I get caught up in all that needs to get done, and I miss the reason that I'm working so hard. And as a result, we've been releasing some Philo Advent readings, which are targeted specifically to those of us who work as technical artists in the local church. And these are based around scripture and the structure of traditional Advent, but really with you and me specifically in mind, those of us doing technical arts in the local church. And really, what does it mean to wait expectantly for Christ, especially for those of us who are doing production and getting ready for our giant Christmas event? And so I want to encourage you to engage with the Philo Advent readings that we started putting out last week. You can check out our show notes for links to all of our Advent series. You go to philo.org slash blog. It's a great way just to take a moment and pause and to reconnect with why we do what we do. So on today's podcast, my guest is Alan Riggs. He's uh, the TD slash producer slash production manager. He's at Willow Creek Wheaton. I filled in for him recently as a TD and I was really impressed with his volunteer team. They crushed it and I felt pretty useless, frankly. But I figured that there was something going on with Alan and his team and I thought it would be a good idea to sit down and have Alan tell us what his secret sauce is. So let's check it out. Alan Riggs. Hello. Alan, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Nice. We're actually uh, recording face-to-face, which is, yeah. this is not like a normal thing these days. This seems like Zoom is the way. Should I put a mask on? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're six feet apart. Yeah, we so are. Definitely. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so thanks for being on the podcast today. Oh, so, my pleasure. Um, usually with podcast guests, I try to think about the first time we met, mm-hmm. just as a reference. And I, like, I'm not sure I know how we met. It feels like... We've known each other for probably more years than either of us care to yeah. mention. You were a volunteer. I was. Uh-huh. Uh, doing production at Willow Creek in the Promised Land yep. area, which is the kids' ministry. I can remember talking to you several times about trying to get you to take a full-time job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you kept saying no. There, I did, <laughs> yes. There was, there was a time where I was on part-time in production and you were, I think you were my boss. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly how, how sh- uh, sure the structure was laid out. Sure, but right, yeah. I remember that we went out to, we went out to lunch and had a one-on-one at one, okay, one point right. in time. But yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Was, That's a long time ago though too. <laughs> yes. I mean, would you say like... Prior to 2010, maybe? Uh, yeah, I was going to say probably like 2008-ish, okay, wow. I think. 
Somewhere around then. Yeah, I was trying to think last night how our, our stories intertwined. And yeah. I, I couldn't exactly piece it together, but it, it was yeah. somewhere between 2008, 2010. Well, I think there's a few people that I know, and one of the guests on the podcast, Ryan Pribble, mm-hmm. and he falls into a similar category yeah. of like a fuzzy beginning. You know, I've always known about Plenty Ryan Plenty of overlap. Yeah, yeah, you've always been around. Uh-huh. As, far, as long as I've been in Chicago, it feels yeah. like, yeah, I know Alan Rick, sure, yeah, yeah. so... I don't know if that's good or bad. Yeah, that's not a bad way to (laughs) the the beginning of a relationship. You can't remember it. Yeah, exactly. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is you do and maybe who you are and how you ended up here. Sure. I am the, I was going to say technical director, but our title has changed to... Which I'm sure a lot of people can relate to. Yes, a production manager and at the Willow Creek Wheaton campus. And so I've been there about five and a half or six years or so. I measure them by the time, (laughs) like by Global Leadership Summits because I started right around the time of a Global Leadership Summit. And I think I've done six of them. Okay, there you go. But before that, like how I got involved in production and everything, I was trying to think and it actually started with my dad. My dad was a, a radio DJ and he would bring me to the radio station every now and then and just I'd watch him okay. and he just let me change the change the cartridges or bring up a fader and just like silly stuff but I don't know it I caught the bug for production things and being in the background of sure. how things worked so then I started volunteer I wanted to volunteer in Promised Land the, uh-huh. the kids ministries at Willow Creek and that was probably like sixth grade when I started to okay and that's one thing that I think I really value about our church is Mm. you can start volunteering at a young age and they embrace that and really welcome it and build into the young volunteers. Sure. I've noticed that, especially on the production team. Could I uh, interrupt for a second? Who was your production leader? Who was the one that kind of pulled you in? Yeah. So at that time it was, let's see, I think Brian Sampson. Okay. Yeah, don't yeah, even know name, that name. There were there were a few. Brian Sampson, Don Dornick. Sure. All of these guys really built into me and not just not just developed like a skill set type thing, but built into me as a person and relationally. Yeah, thinking of a couple of others, they Kevin Kesterer, Arnez, Bonsol, and yeah. yeah, those guys really showed me that being in production is more than just pushing faders or right, right. bringing up lights, the the technical aspect of it. But just it's about having relationships with people and really fostering those relationships. And I spend more time at the church, I think, than, than anything. I was there basically every weekend. It was school, obviously, but then sure. on the weekends, it was church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just thinking back on those times, Kevin and Arnez are such great examples of the long game mm-hmm. of development versus the results of the moment that I think I would say this to Arnez if he were sitting here, but Mm -hmm. like the slow moving, just hanging out with kids and volunteers. And as somebody, as a leader at Willow, it's like the results are, come on, we got to, we need more volunteers. Mm -hmm. And Arnez is just like doing his thing. Yeah. At his pace. You could probably line up, have a, a spreadsheet of names of people that I have a bunch in my head right yeah, now. Yeah, that are doing some kind of production work for their their livelihood, whether at a church or on Broadway. Yeah. That came from Arnez yes. and Kevin. Yep. Just their commitment to training and developing yeah. and trusting. Yeah, they yeah, they sure built into me as a person and really showed me what it was 
like to be relational as a leader mm-hmm. and yeah, form those relationships with volunteers. Yeah, so good, which it kind of leads us into the topic of discussion for today. And so maybe a little backstory. So you were going on vacation um, yes. and we're looking for somebody to take your place for the weekend. And uh, you called me and I said, yes. And thank you. Uh, yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> was the vacation good? That was, uh, the, yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> it was. Uh, yeah. We had a great time. It was fantastic. And knowing that I, I had someone like you and someone like John at front of house, it was fantastic. I didn't have to think about it. Yeah. That's so great. <laughs> like when I got there, a part of it is the ins and outs, the intricacies of everybody's setup is unique to each location. Mm-hmm. And so for someone like me coming in, I'd never been to Willow Wheaton before, not in that location, yes. I should say. And to just show up and be like, okay, I understand the general idea of how all this works, mm-hmm. but it works a certain unique way here. And what's that going to be like? And I was just amazed at the volunteers that were there, the people that were involved, the and the level of ownership they had. Like mm. there were so many things like the stage manager was doing that, I would think, oh my gosh, we need to be doing that. And I would see him walk with whatever that thing is (laughs) to doing it. Uh Or he would come up and say, oh, by the way, I unlocked this, that, and the other thing. And okay, I never would have figured that out. And anyway, he was going about his work with a level of ownership that I thought, oh, this is really cool. And then same with lighting and video. Mm -hmm. And there was just, yeah, so many examples of people that were stepping up in that moment. And I just remember thinking, dang, man, Ellen's got something going on here. Mm. It's unique and special and it also doesn't happen just because you feel like taking a vacation. It's something that mm-hmm. that has to be developed. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it would just be fun to talk about how you develop your volunteers or how you maybe just they're so amazing you don't have to or whatever the secret might be. But when you need to take a vacation, you need to have people that you can trust. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't happen like just the week before you go on vacation. Yeah. It's a lifestyle almost. Yeah. I'm really blessed with a great volunteer team. There are a lot of long-term volunteers, guys who have been there for probably 10 years or so. One of them being that stage manager yeah. that I can think of. And yeah, they're super faithful. And like you said, they take a level of ownership in what they do. It doesn't matter if they're putting water bottles out for, for sure. the vocalists or taping down cords with gaff tape. They do it with pride and they're happy to do it yeah. too. And when you asked me about that, it's one of those things where you almost don't realize that you have that until somebody else brings it to your attention. And I then started thinking about it and I was like, oh man, yeah. I knew my team was great and that I had great volunteers, but yeah, looking at them each individually and realizing just how great we have it at Wheaton. Yeah, that took it to a new level. Even in your own story, it probably reflected a little bit like if somebody's willing to show up all the time, Mm -hmm. like that's the person that's willing to do whatever it takes to to do the job. And, yeah. Yeah, and on some level, okay, needs to receive direction and be willing to submit themselves to leadership or whatever. But yeah, the, I, the one of the secrets to development is somebody that's really into being developed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I especially the person who was on lighting that weekend, he is a Man, he is a an all star volunteer. Actually, just lost him to college. I was yeah, real real bummed right. about that. Yeah. I don't think um, his parents would see no, it that I, way. But yeah. oh, I tried to <laughs> yeah. tried to hang on to him for sure. But he would show up, and it, he was an every week volunteer. Which I mean, 
that in itself is is amazing, yeah. especially for a, a high school kid. And then he, uh, there were weekends where I would have a just an unexpected volunteer hole and, and be like, hey, can you do this? I know you've never done it before. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I'm like, whatever you need, I'm here to serve and just here to make the service happen. Mm-hmm. And those volunteers are worth their weight in gold. For sure, yeah. yeah. So I used to TD a church in a high school. Right around Christmas time, we figured out that the school had the exact same camera set up and mm. switcher that we did. This is back in the 90s. So we decided that we were going to combine our system for Christmas uh-huh. to go from three cameras to seven. And one of them was going to be a handheld. And I honestly had no idea what I was doing with three cameras, <laughs> let alone with seven. And so uh, somewhere along the way, I had a, a volunteer slash intern. And I was like, hey, just go, you run the handheld. And I think, I don't know if I said in rehearsal, but it was implied that uh-huh. during rehearsal, you run that and then we'll figure out what yeah. we're doing later. Eventually, I'm just like, no, no, you just keep doing it. And he didn't know what he was doing. He'd never done it before. I had no idea even how to direct him uh-huh. because I'd never used one before. Yeah. And that's one of those moments. That person and I, we're still friends, works at a church doing production stuff. In fact, I, he's probably the creative director now, mm-hmm. like, or, you know, leads worship and production now. But we talk about that moment where he's, that was so pivotal for me, the just the trust mm-hmm. that, you know, hey, just you figure it out. You can do it. And I can imagine saying that, but I could also imagine I was so buried by the things that I didn't know how to do that uh-huh. I was like, whatever you do is going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. So it's, just it's, go do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which <laughs> translated to him was like, oh my gosh, Sweet. he trusts me so uh-huh. much. Like, yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I do. Yes. But it's more about, yeah, I, I got enough to worry about here. So you're doing it. It is something cool about kind of those moments too, where you either have a volunteer whole or you throw something at somebody and mm-hmm. they just rise to the occasion. Yeah. Things like that provide great opportunities for just growth. Yeah. And I think about you, you going on vacation is a great example of, I could imagine every, all the people on the team stepped up to a level that they don't normally Mm -hmm. step into because you're there and not that you're taking something away from them. It's just, oh, Alan's here. He's got it. I don't have to worry about it. But yeah, there's something really great about your absence. Yeah. Again, they just rise to the occasion. Yeah. It was so much fun to be in that moment with them and just seeing how great they were working together and looking out for each other. And maybe to not say that everything was perfect, there were definitely some, like some holes Uh and some, oh, okay, that's a little strange. We'll figure it out or whatever. But for the most part, just watching everybody, even, I mean, I've never, I had never met any of those people. Mm -hmm. John, who was running front of house, I knew him. And, but we were sort of like, he just, you do your thing and I'm just going to like, (laughs) <laughs> zone defense or whatever's yeah, exactly. going on my side. And, but just even watching the other volunteers talking about, Hey, don't forget about this or mm-hmm. what about that? And looking out for each other. That particular weekend, I remember there were like, there was some confusion about who was running camera. And, uh-huh. and <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like, I, we've got some camera people uh-huh. and then, you know, then they all showed up and which ones am I working on? Like, yeah. oh, the video guy, he's got, you know, he's figuring it out. Uh-huh. And yeah, anyway, I think the best thing I did that whole weekend was I remembered that the stage manager had unlocked the stage door, mm. the side mm-hmm. stage door. And I was like pulling out of the parking lot. And I'm like, 
I got to lock that door. <laughs> I don't know who's going to be left behind yeah. to remember that, but like, I can pull back in and lock that door. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. I probably would have gotten an email about that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, somebody forgot to lock that door. <laughs> There's two things to like going on vacation. One is like to, to give your team a chance to arise to the occasion. Mm-hmm. The other part is to like take a break and become refreshed like when's your next vacation actually that's funny that you say that (laughs) i just on the way over here i had a a call with my boss and he was like hey i think you should maybe take some time off i mean i remember too a lot of your team were thanking me profusely they're just saying thank you alan really not that you needed a vacation Uh like he's driving us crazy thanks for like getting him out of here (laughs) was more like he deserves a vacation Mm. he's worked so hard yeah so you took this vacation and you heard from me some insights you know i think your team did a great job anything that you're thinking differently about the next time you go take a vacation that's a good question so yeah every time i go on vacation i try to make checklists sure and like just lists for each position to go through and then also in my place, when I'm there on the weekends, I'm running front of house and doing TD work, calling queues and then putting out <laughs> other fires, whatever TDs do. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, just trying to think and create those checklists. Actually, as I'm going through them on Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. I feel like that's important because mm-hmm. you could do it on like a on a Wednesday or whatever. And I think there are probably... Actually, I know there are things that I don't even realize that I do, like turning on a couple TVs or whatever. Like it's just instinctual. And creating those checklists on a Sunday morning before you're leaving allows you to make sure that you're hitting everything. I'll probably pull up what I sent you. and (laughs) Still so accurate. (laughs) Yeah, go from there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Even just one of the things during that day, the team would get to a place of well, maybe we should text Alan. He said we could text him. Let's not do that <laughs> but yet. I'm not saying we can't, but let's work on this. Yeah. Like, let's figure this out. Because I think, I don't know, I feel like I learn best when I'm under that kind of pressure oh, to, uh-huh. to figure out the solution. Yeah, And I think one of the things that we do as TDs is it's real easy to jump in and, oh, it's this thing and just hit the buttons mm-hmm. and, and keep things moving. Yeah which short circuits some development. I feel like there's competing values of give this person some space to learn yeah. versus we've got a whole stage full of people waiting for us Yeah, if I know the answer. yeah, That was fun. I think we figured out that some people had been texting you that morning jokingly like, I yeah, can't find no, my it, microphone it, or it, yeah, whatever. It wasn't that. even <laughs> issues or anything. <laughs> right, uh, right. Like just, yeah, just to be uh, jokesters about it. Yeah. <laughs> Now, one of the things I was thinking about, too, in getting ready for this conversation was I can remember the first time I took a two-week vacation. Mm -hmm. So taking one weekend off is something, but taking two weekends off is like something completely different. And I can remember I had like a stellar volunteer that I'm like, can you like handle this stuff? Mm -hmm. And here's the checklist and all this stuff. And when I came back from vacation, I've discovered and this was before the days of cell phones too. So like nobody oh, called yeah. me. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was wonderful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or maybe before the days of me having a cell phone. Yes. Yeah, I'll start uh-huh. there. Yeah, they existed, but I did not own one. But we were a portable church. And one of the things was that we had certain things that came off the truck after a Sunday and then during the week would get filled up with stuff and then get loaded back on the truck on Saturday morning to leave, uh, to go back to the school. And the first weekend I was gone, an extra case had been pulled off the truck 
like one that never comes off. Uh-huh. And so the next week, the volunteer that was driving the truck, like just grabbed the ones he's supposed to grab. Yeah. And this one got left behind. Couldn't and I think it, it was uh-huh. like, had all the mic cables in it or something like very important case. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it like, when you're portable, there's not time mm-hmm. for anything to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And so it basically just blew a hole in that day's experience oh, for everyone. It was yeah. just awful. And so when I got back from vacation, the music director, who wasn't my boss, but maybe thought he was, I don't mm-hmm. know, he lit into me big time. Mm-hmm. Like, you, this cannot happen again. You cannot go again. You cannot take a vacation. This is the language he was using. You yeah. can't go on vacation yeah. again. It's not possible. Yeah. And it was all because of something that happened that had never happened before. Mm-hmm. That I can only make a checklist of the things I know. Yeah, exactly. Now that it's happened, it, it's, it's gonna going to be on, on the, the checklist. List. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to beat myself up over something that I can't totally control. Because the reality is, I guess if I had been there, I would have said, oh, why is this case? I'll make sure that they know to put that case on the truck. But yeah, there's so many things that happen that you have no control over, yeah. whether you're there or you're not. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing from the people leading us standpoint, they know that if you're there, stuff's going to get done. Mm-hmm. When you're not there, they're just not sure. Yeah. Part of it is, I'll speak for me, but I can imagine it's true for you. Mm-hmm. If someone's on stage and something's going awry and they look back and see you at the console, they know, mm-hmm. okay, well, Alan's going to handle this. Yeah. If you're not back there, then they're like, they, there's a question mark. Who's going to handle this? Yeah. And so part of it is even like how to develop your team to take that part, mm-hmm. that place, that mm-hmm. when you're not there and somebody on stage looks up and they see the stage manager, they're like, we're good. Yeah. Yeah, there's just like maybe another level of development. Yeah. I, I think there there's something about what you were saying earlier too about volunteers taking ownership mm-hmm. in in things. And I think the more the more times volunteers do take ownership or lean into opportunities, the more comfortable that'll make people on stage feel or people around them feel as well. And there is something about like when you're taking vacation that there could be something that goes wrong. And I know that my boss knows also that there's a possibility that something could go wrong. And it's almost, I think it's a value thing. You have to value the person who's taking vacation or right. needs a vacation over almost, for lack of a better word, like the product. Sure. And it's similar to when I think about training like a new volunteer, there's a, like the quality bar that we always have when you're bringing on a new volunteer you have to lower that quality bar a little for them to actually make mistakes and learn. I think that's the best way a person can learn is actually by making mistakes. And you being okay with them making mistakes, being in an environment where it's okay to do that. And so it's like that, like leadership or whomever is allowing you to take a vacation needs to be okay with certain things possibly happening because they're allowing you to go on vacation. (laughs) We were doing a conference Uh at Willow for, I don't know if it was Promised Land or Youth or something like that. It was like one of the... One of the lesser conferences. I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. So it must not have been the youth one because that was usually pretty big time. Uh-huh. But the uh, anyway, it was like, hey, let's give somebody a chance to call cues and do this, learn how to be the show caller kind of TD position yeah. as we would call them. And 
I said, okay, yeah, I'll take that on. I'll train this person. I think you'd do a great job. So we were, were in the conference and he was doing a great job. But every time he'd call a, a cue that involved audio, he would tend to be like facing away from the audio person. So the audio person's like to his left uh -huh. and he's like looking right or something like that. And the audio guy doesn't have a headset on, so he can't hear <laughs> the cue. And so we were missing audio, uh -huh. like we were missing stuff. And the, the audio guy's getting frustrated. And well, the first time I'm just like, I leaned in. I'm like, hey, you got to make sure that you're looking, you know, like yeah. call the cue, but look at him yeah. so that he knows something's happening. Yep. And he can read your lips or say it out loud, that loud enough that he can hear you yeah. anyway. Yeah. Okay, great. So then some time goes on and another cue comes along and he does the same thing, like looking away, missing an audio cue. And so I like lean in, man, we got to, yeah, okay, we uh -huh. got to get better at this. <laughs> so then more time goes by and now somebody important is in the booth. <laughs> and just observe, just like seeing how the conference is going uh -huh. or whatever, and it happens again. And I'm just like, I don't know what. So I leaned in again, bro, you got to, you can't do this anymore. Yeah. So anyway, it was fine. It, like I didn't get a lecture uh -huh. from anyone or whatever. But at the end of it, this person said, hey, how do you think I did? What can I improve mm. on? Let's make some new mistakes, man. We can't keep doing the same one over and yeah. over again. So yeah. the yeah, you're frustrating the person next to you. There's no reason to keep making the same mistake. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, for me, I love the idea of somebody having the freedom to fail. Mm-hmm. But don't <laughs> you don't have the freedom to keep failing at yeah. the same thing over oh, and over. Absolutely. Maybe then maybe this isn't for you. But yeah, there's something about that just giving people room to even saying it. It's hard to as a production person oh, with results. Absolutely. You know, like it has to be perfect mm -hmm. for it to be good enough. Yeah. To say it's fine to make mistakes. But the uh, yeah, to leverage the learning part mm -hmm. of it is the yeah, the key. Yeah. I don't know if I've actually ever said it's okay to make mistakes, yeah. but <laughs> yeah. I, I hope to model that. <laughs> and actually there are moments where like when I'm running audio, I'll miss a cue and right. forget to turn somebody's mic on or whatever. And I'll go on calm then and be like, hey, sorry guys, that was my fault. Yeah. And I think there's something about that kind of breaks the like the wall right, a little right. and makes it allowable to make mistakes. And when somebody else on the team does make a mistake, usually my first response was, That's a good learning and I <laughs> yeah, bet you'll yeah. never make that mistake again. Yeah. It, it's not a it's definitely not a shaming thing. I yeah. Know, yeah. When I look back on my life, I realize that so much of what I learned and being allowed to grow into being a, a technical person. Like I was the most knowledgeable person mm. at my church, mm -hmm. which was not saying much. So like I was given the chance to like, if Todd can't figure it out, then mm -hmm. I guess nobody can. Yeah, It wasn't true, but it was true of the people at, we at had. There. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it's, oh, Todd keeps screwing this up, but who else we're going to go to? Yeah. yeah. The church that I was working for, we moved into doing video overflow. Mm -hmm. And so... I have no idea. I mean, I'm, I was an audio person and I might say barely. I was barely an audio <laughs> person. And okay, figure this out and nobody else is going to figure it out. And however good I could do it, that's how good we were doing yeah. it. Uh -huh. And so I had tons of grace that was not deserved. Mm. Part of it was 
nobody knew it any better. It's like the people leading me were like, yeah, well, they're like, I mean, hey, I that's guess, good. <laughs> yeah, this is better than what it was last yeah. week. And I think one of the things about having churches with this high production value is that it just gets more and more difficult to make space for someone mm-hmm. to learn and grow. And one of the things I really love about our years at Willow Creek was there were so many venues for production, yeah. people to learn in yeah. that had nothing to do with the main service. Mm-hmm. That like, yeah, here's a room full of two-year-olds. And absolutely, you got a couple audio cues and some sound effects and don't hurt anyone's ears. That's how I got into production, starting in the children's ministry. And then it was like a feeder team or like a growth track, I guess you could say. That as you learned more, you would go into more advanced rooms or a room that didn't just have track lighting and had (laughs) maybe a few lights on faders or whatever. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, going from it, this is an eight channel audio board. This one, this room's got 16 Uh and it's digital. Yeah, so I think that is something that I really value about Willow for sure that they have that built-in like volunteer growth track. Do you Um, feel like uh, at your campus now, do you feel like there's probably less opportunities for kids to learn and grow? There is, definitely. What's hard about our campus is we, I'd say we're like semi-portable. Sure. We're in a school, but we have existing infrastructure, Dante network that we've laid the groundwork for and we can patch into that. So the fact that we're in a school makes it hard to do volunteer training during the day or during even weekdays. And something like like front of house is hard to get filled and usually requires like a a contractor of some sort. But there are plenty of things or plenty of opportunities at our campus that I just brought on a a new high schooler this past weekend and he wants to be a camera op. And cameras pretty at our campus it's a pretty easy position sure, to fruit yeah, yeah exactly and there's multiple cameras there's not the pressure of like just being yeah. the one camera guy and that was how the volunteer i was talking about earlier gabe he he came on and then i threw him on lights i guess the different positions there's a, a track that we have from position to position sure, right uh-huh. it might not even be like in the same thing like a video camera person in in video could eventually go to lighting or sure. a CG op could become a director. And yeah, there is the ability to grow, but because it's only the main service, we don't have the opportunities for right. kids or young teens, which I wish we did. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the young teens, it's like they're available as long as their parents are willing to drive them. Yeah, yeah it's always the, the sticking point. <laughs> One of the things I really love too, just about the production area is there is a certain type of person that's attracted to it mm-hmm. and I can't tell you how many moms have come up to me over the years thank you for making a place for my mm. boy mm-hmm. because he didn't really fit anywhere else mm-hmm. and he can't you can't keep him away from this mm-hmm. like he loves doing it and yeah. is totally into it and yeah and to see that those kids are actually really good at doing the production thing yeah I, I just it's one of the things the as hard as it is to figure out how do you staff nine production venues on a weekend mm-hmm. yeah there's something really great about that many opportunities for kids to 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's always opportunity to serve. Just talking about having relationships. I think the relationship aspect of volunteering in production specifically, I think that's super key. I know that that's what kept me volunteering. Just the friendships that I made, that is actually what I specifically tried to replicate when I came on the job at Wheaton, just to create a a culture where people felt welcomed Mm -hmm. and where they could come. And even when they didn't come, they were missed and they knew that they were missed. And yeah, I don't know. Something about that relationship aspect, I think. So often, if you think back to when you were a kid, oh man, I'm really into this gear side of things or whatever. I think for most people, the gear and the flashing lights or whatever, it's the thing that pulls you in. That's a draw, yeah. Yeah, but then after a while, it becomes about the people you're serving with. Because yeah, the flashing lights only last so long. Some of my favorite memories of serving with people have been during really hard seasons. Oh yeah a run up to Christmas mm-hmm. or I was thinking about the all night work night for the new auditorium <laughs> at Willow, yeah. which is uh-huh. not, not so new anymore, uh-huh. by the way. Yeah, just like there's some great memories that I can be with people and we can look at each other and we know we've shared a moment. Yeah. And so I guess the thing that makes me think about that is I spent a lot of time trying to create the easiest opportunities for volunteers possible, make this really easy for you to succeed so you'll come back. Mm, mm -hmm. Instead of thinking about what does our church need to be about and how can I create opportunities for people to serve instead of what's the lowest ask I can make. Because I don't know that you can draw a straight line here, but am I depriving people of these memories that that come from hard work and Mm -hmm. going through something difficult together? This is a very small example, but like the team, when you went on vacation, they have something because it was hard. Mm -hmm. And even me thinking, we're not calling Alan. Let's (laughs) like keep pushing through. And okay, we can't figure out how to get rid of the countdown timer on the thing. So cut it, you know, just, (laughs) it doesn't matter. And just laughing about it, but figuring it out together and like doing something hard together, I think is super valuable. And I, I just know for me, even thinking about volunteer opportunities with Philo and stuff, I spent a lot of time just trying, how do we make this easy as possible Mm -hmm. when that's not always, shouldn't be the highest value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a sense of accomplishment, I think, when when you do something that isn't necessarily easy. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to run the team into the ground. Yeah. No. But yeah, we used to have a joke on one of the teams I was on that, well, what should we do? Should we do X or Y? And somebody would say, well, just whatever's easiest. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, great. The highest value now is whatever's easiest is going to be our, you know, governing. No, let's like, which, what should we do? Uh-huh. Let's not make decisions based on what's easy. But I think it's, yeah, we all have a lot of demands on our lives and, to want to make something easy. It's not a bad thing, but it also shouldn't be the most important thing. Yeah, It's a little bit like back in the day, coming up with like values for the production team at mm-hmm. Willow when I was there. And we were trying to come up with like our mission statement. And we kept coming back to the idea of just creating a distraction-free environment. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's good, but that's not enough for me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to do this just to not create distractions. Yeah. There, there needs to be some other motivating force here. Yeah. And yeah, so figuring out what is that we're calling our people to and being unapologetic maybe sounds too harsh, but like being unafraid to ask your team to to rise to uh-huh. the occasion. Yeah. I've seen time and time again that people do. Yeah. When you give them the opportunity yeah. to rise, they do. Yeah. I think too, it's real easy to think about they're doing me a favor 
by serving. Mm-hmm. And really, it needs to be my ask needs to be bigger than that mm-hmm. for them, and even for me to be thinking about it in a different way than just like they're doing me a favor. Yeah, yeah. It's I don't know. I I think in in ministry, yeah, they're doing you a favor, but yeah. they're also it sounds so cheesy, but a, <laughs> a higher calling. Something that volunteers aren't doing this to play with all of the gear, or even maybe necessarily for the relationships, but they're doing it because they're called to do that. Mm -hmm. At least that's how I feel. I'm doing this because I feel called to do this. And I think that is reflective also of the volunteers. And I think uh, we we were having a conversation in the office yesterday about some volunteer positions we're trying to fill. And we were saying no for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. We're just, no, let's not put their name up because X, Y, Z. But if I had to choose someone for that role, I would I would pick that person. Mm, and so mm-hmm. just even we would say to each other, let's not say no for them, yeah. which I think is hard because that person's really busy. And again, if I'm thinking about it as they're doing me a favor, I'm just thinking about it wrong. Yeah. And I'm not giving them a chance to, if somebody said my no for me when I was a kid mm-hmm. learning how to do production stuff yep. or whatever, my life would stink now, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And to be honest, that's how I felt when I sent you that email. I was like, <laughs> oh, should I email Todd? <laughs> I know he's got a lot going on. He's probably super busy, but <laughs> oh, I, I won't say his no for yeah, him. Yeah. I, like that was the exact thing that went through my head. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a great experience for me. Yeah, it was like time away from my normal, but I had a great time yeah. with your team and yeah, and getting to meet new people and yeah, see some old friends that mm-hmm. like that go to church there. I'm super glad I said yes. Yeah. Hey, thanks for making time no coming problem. out here, visiting the Philo offices for oh, in-person. My pleasure. Yeah, Love in-person it. podcast recording. So yeah, great to have you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Todd. It was really fun to catch up with Alan. There are a few things I really loved about his outlook. One is practical and the other is more of a values-driven thing. From a practical standpoint, creating checklists for his team, I love it. I think so many of us just do what we do. We're doing the work, we're not really thinking about it. And as a result, our team doesn't really know the nitty gritty of what needs to get done. I also thought it was cool that he takes time during his weekend to make the checklist kind of as he goes and making sure it still has everything up to date. I think it's a really great habit to get into. The other point that Alan made is that, and it's even a big part of his story, much of what we do is relational. Sure, there's a task to be done, but building a solid team is more about building meaningful relationships with the people we serve with. It requires more of a long view of success instead of kind of instant success that I think I'm tending to be looking for. For us to have thriving teams, we need to take the longer view. You know, for us to be able to take vacations, we need a well-developed team. I think it's safe to say that our churches want us around for the long haul, and much of that is up to us to figure out. I mean, what does it mean for me to be able to take a vacation? Uh, Our bosses and colleagues, I mean, they don't fully understand what we do in the first place, so they're really not able to be helpful at solving the problem of creating a successful team, and really they can't prepare them for your vacation. It's really on us to figure that stuff out. I know it's difficult to talk about vacations when, if you're listening to this in real time, you're probably, I mean, neck deep in Christmas. But the time to plan for a vacation is not when you need it, but before that. So take a few minutes and figure out what it would take to develop your team to the point where you could take a weekend off. You can do it right now. Just I can wait. 
Anyway, we're coming up on the end of 2021. And as you look forward to 2022, don't forget to plan on coming to Philo on May 10th and 11th in Chicago in 2022. Speaking of the long game, this is a great way to build into your volunteers. Take a road trip together, develop the community of your team, learn some new skills together, be inspired together. Uh, You can head to philo.org to get all the information and the tickets you need to come. We want to see you there. Also, if you're looking for ways to show your appreciation to your team, Philo merch is always a good idea. Perhaps a dumpster firefighter t-shirt or chaos coordinator t-shirt. The I Love Jesus But I Hate Christmas book is a great way to grow as a team together. So it could be a great Christmas gift. Also, right now we're doing the 14 days of Philo giveaways on Instagram. So you've got a chance to win something each day. You can check us out at, at Philo Community on Instagram for a chance to win some pretty sweet Philo stuff. So following us on Instagram is a great way of keeping up to date with everything Philo, whether it's the 14 days of giveaway or the advent or any other news we have going on. But you can also follow us on Facebook at at Philo Community and we're on Twitter at at Philo Conference. Subscribing to our newsletter will also give you kind of the inside look at all the resources we're making available to help you become a more effective technical artist. Don't forget to join in on our Philo Advent readings in the run-up to Christmas. Give yourself that pause and remember why it is you're doing what you're doing. We at Philo know what it takes, and I'm proud of the work that you're doing. In Galatians 6, the Apostle Paul reminds us to not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So don't give up, Philo community. Keep doing good and we will reap a harvest at the proper time. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.